Welcome to the Codcast from Commonwealth Magazine, a weekly conversation about Massachusetts politics and policy. I'm Michael Jonas. Today on the Codcast, is hosting big-time events like the Olympics or the IndyCar race a mark of a great city? Or are those things a distraction from what truly makes Boston a first-rate city? Empty calories from a civic sugar high that does little for our long-term health and vitality. What makes for a world-class city? Two smart Boston voices will help us sort through that today. Mike Ross is a former Boston city councilor and one-time mayoral candidate. Uh, welcome, Mike. Glad to be here. And Chris Dempsey was a leader of the No Boston Olympics effort that helped end the dreams some had of a Boston Summer Olympics in 2024. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Mike, let's let's start by talking about the uh, uh, op-ed piece you wrote uh, two weeks ago in the Globe. It came right after the announcement that the Grand Prix of Boston was canceling the IndyCar race that was planned for the fall in the Seaport District. And you wrote a piece lamenting that fact, as well as a string of things over the years that you viewed as missed opportunities for the city. And the piece was headlined, Boston, I love you, but you're bringing me down. What, what are you so down about, Mike? You know, it's not even, it's not the indie race. I mean, I'm not a big indie car fan, you know. This would have been my first indie race. I actually, would, curious, would have probably gone just because I've never been to one. First yeah. race you were to watch, you weren't going to be driving. Yeah, I wouldn't have been driving, driving it, no. Yeah. But, you know, but it's not about this indie car race that that determines the success of our city. It's about how we deal with people when they come into our city to do things like the indie car race. And it's true. There are a string of things that have happened here that haven't worked out well. One of them being the indie car race. One of them being, as Chris knows all too well, um, the Olympics, but other things. And so over the years, it's a fact Boston has earned a reputation of being a difficult place to get things permitted, to get things done, to do big things, and sometimes even to do small things. Dante Ramos just wrote a piece about a Starbucks that was shot down in um, South Boston. So, look, I think some of that's changing. I think Marty Walsh is trying to change it. Mm-hmm. But if, if, you know, if it's the city that's not going to kill it, in steps a civic group, you know, or a, a right. no on X campaign, right. Right. you know, like what we saw at the Olympics or what we saw. Right. They start a website, they issue which, you know, a chat, the gauntlet gets put down and they kill it and they celebrate. And, you right. know, that starts to bring me down. OK, well, maybe we can do a little uplift here. But, Chris, I wonder, I mean, I think that uh, when Dante wrote that piece in The Globe, I think he really distinguished between the kind of sort of death of a thousand cuts of the permitting problems that might keep a coffee shop from opening or a restaurant yep. versus some of these big events. And, and he said we should really be more concerned about the former than losing an IndyCar or I don't know if he wrote about the Olympics, but certainly we could segue to that. So how do you view, you know, this idea of the big events that, that, that seem to sort of slip out of our reach uh, that, you know, uh, folks like Mike seem to uh, uh, mourn their passing, yet, you know, you were kind of, uh, you know, sort of one of the undertakers that the uh, that, that helped to do them in, and you thought to the, to, the, to the city's good, really. Yeah, so I think what we always said with no Boston Olympics was that um, Boston has a great track record of thinking big, but also thinking smart. And I think it's pretty clear after the 2024 debate that we had that the Boston Olympics was not a smart idea. Not because Boston is not a great city, and not because we don't have 
phenomenal opportunities and possibilities here, but because what the IOC wants and the the USOC wants and what the boosters want are really kind of fundamentally opposed and different than what people out in the neighborhoods um, and people in the community really want. And I think that the 2024 debate played that out. It was very clear that the more people learned about that bid, the less they liked it. At first, they were excited about it. They were open to this new big idea. But then they learned that it required a taxpayer guarantee, that it required building all of the most expensive venues, and it was all going to be for a three-week event. So, um, you know, I think the Olympics is a good example of a big idea, but not a smart idea. IndyCar is actually not that big of an idea. If you look at the popularity of IndyCar, uh, for example, let's look at the number of tickets sold. It's less than one Red Sox game. Um, fewer than, you know, fewer than 25,000 tickets were sold for IndyCar. And if you look at the TV ratings for IndyCar, it's actually fewer people watch IndyCar than watch a typical Sunday night baseball game. And we just had one at Fenway Park a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So this is not some major event. It's a pretty disruptive event, so um, but not a major one. without a huge return. Really no payoff at all. And, you know, ask the average Bostonian, who's your favorite IndyCar driver? I mean, Mike, who's your favorite IndyCar driver? You can't even name one, right? I mean, it's, I mean but what it's, does it matter? I mean, it's we're a big city. We're a place that these things happen in. And it's like there's this cabal that, like, conspires to, like, you know, uh, prove this, not, you know, like yeah. Chris is making an argument and a case, but to what end and for what reason? Who well, so is he protecting? Let's, let's talk about what happened with IndyCar, because I think it's pretty clear that what, what uh, the fate that befell IndyCar was not that there was a popular uprising against it, but that the economics didn't work because the promoters couldn't generate enough interest in that event and they couldn't sell enough tickets and enough marketing to make it work. Okay, so the they, initial lose, contract, they lose money, though. So why What? What? Why do you care? No, that, well, they pulled out because they were going to lose money. They, I didn't oppose IndyCar, Mike. Yeah. I, I was fine with IndyCar. So you're okay, you would support IndyCar? It's not a question of supporting it or, or opposing it. Like, I, I support or oppose a Red Sox game. The question was, the original question was, should the city be striking a deal with IndyCar that is that takes public dollars and funds the improvements and the changes that IndyCar needed? And I think that was pretty clearly a poor use of public resources when we have a lot of other things that we should be doing in the city. Once Governor Baker stepped in and made it clear that they were not going to give a giveaway to IndyCar and that they needed to have IndyCar pay its own way, then the economics for IndyCar didn't work anymore because they realized they couldn't generate enough revenue and interest to cover the, the basic costs. These are things like, you know, the fact that they would have to shut down the Silver Line for the weekend and the MBTA was going to be forced to pay overtime for a different route to get to the airport. Governor Baker stepped in and said, you know, look, we're fine with that disruption, but we need IndyCar to pay for those costs because the team needs every penny that it can get. When IndyCar was forced to deal with the actual cost it was imposing on the community, it was no longer able to make the economic. But were those costs fairs, fair? Would a uh, world-class city who reroutes part of their transit system, which let's keep in mind, the Silver Line is a bus. It can go around things. You know, and would, is it fair to now ask a, a, a proponent of an event that they have to pay time and a half because of that rerouting? I mean, do we not take advantage of people who are coming into this city to try to do these things? I'm, you know, I'm curious what Chris feels about the Democratic National Convention in 2004, the, the convention that launched uh, President Obama in his big speech at the, you know, John Kerry. That a lot of people criticized that. Are you were you against that? I was I was uh, an intern at that convention, uh, and so for me it was hugely beneficial. I think if you ask a small business owner across the street from from the uh, Fleet Center whether he or she was better off or worse off, I think a lot of them would say they were worse off. So look, it's a mixed bag. These events are always a mixed bag. So should we and, have not have done the Democratic National Convention? Like I don't I don't know what the numbers are and the studies are on that. Let's assume uh, they, that they weren't great, you know. But all we got out of it was the exposure we got. 
would you have done it again? Uh, I don't. I don't think. I think when economists look at the value of the exposure that you get from these events, they often do not match the claims that the boosters promote. And the Olympics is a great example of that, right? So I'm not going to debate what happened. You know what we did or didn't do in 2004, and whether that was the right thing or not. But I think we should be very proud as a city and a region and a state that we have people that want to weigh the pros and cons, and they want to see the costs and benefits, and they don't just accept any single idea that comes down the down the road. Someone coming from either in the city or outside the city, who says, hey, I just want you to pay for XYZ costs and I promise I'm going to put on a great event. Bostonians are much smarter than that. They don't just sort of take a, a big idea and say it's a good idea. Okay, but should we be concerned that external proponents are seeing and watching this and saying, you know, maybe we shouldn't go to Boston because they're weighing the pros and cons so much, they're saying no all the time. I think we say yes to a lot of things, Mike. I mean, aren't you involved with an event on Charles Street? I am, and, and and I disclose right. it in the in the piece, yeah. and it and goes so we're to saying yes to that. what's the event? It's like a track and field. I mean, Mike would describe it better. Yeah. It's like a track and field event on Charles Street. Outdoor mm-hmm. track and field events, very very interesting. Uh-huh. Like famous, uh, you know, athletes will be running down the street. And look, we had the support of the Beacon Hill Civic Association. It was a right. much different. I mean, they chose right. a very difficult place right. to try to permanent event. This indie group, right? Yeah. I mean, right. There, there were like I counted eighteen different agencies, right, right. that needed to be asked permission and permit something, right? And who knew there was some wetlands thing? Or I mean, the that's, stuff that yeah, was the coming wetland, out of the, out the of environmental the, out of the thing. That's uh, a little, that was a little crazy. Then. Right. Look, now, I think, Chris, you've yeah. talked about like big events. I, I think in the past during the Olympics, thing you said, look, we've got you know basketball, we've got the Red Sox, you know, nestled right in the neighborhood here. We've yeah. got you know the world's you know, most famous running race that comes through here, which yeah, is, the Fourth is, of July is very year. disruptive. Yeah. Those are all kind of legacy events, too. I mean, yeah. maybe there's a question of, I mean, it'd be hard to sort of say, you know, we don't want the Boston Marathon anymore. Yeah. Or Red Sox, why don't you move to the suburbs? But there is a question about when new when new ideas so I think kind of land, is, yeah, this is a great know, point. how are they received? And, and this, is, um, this is often what uh, some boosters will say is, well, you would be opposed to the Boston Marathon today if someone proposed right. that. Um, so let's let's talk about that. So um, the Boston Marathon today is like 30,000 people, right? Um, it's it's probably the single best day of the year in Boston. I mean, it's usually my favorite day of the year. Spring is coming. Everyone is in a good mood. I mean, it is it is something that makes Boston a special place to live. When it started in 1897, there were 15 runners, right? And so what we've done over the last 120 years is we've built a phenomenal tradition, started pretty small, but then built something that works very well with our city and is ingrained to the fabric of our city. And there may be things that we're starting today that we've already started or we're about to start that will become those same great traditions. And it's okay if they don't start with thirty thousand people a bang. and they start yeah, with ten. Yeah, they yeah. start with twenty people. Yeah. Let's look at Boston Calling as an example. That's the event that happens on City Hall Plaza. It's a, a concert. Um, it, it happened at first once a year, and everyone loved it, and it was a great event. And they said, you know what? Let's make it two times a year. And so now it's around like Memorial Day and around Labor Day that this occurs. People have a great time. In you know, and it's not as big as the marathon. It's not as big as even a Red Sox game, right? But in 10 years, it might be. In 15 years, it might be, you know, our South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. Let's, look at, let's look at Hub Week. It's the same way. Hub Week just started off supported by the Globe, by Mass General, by Harvard and MIT. You know, started relatively small, but it's a great idea. It's something that Bostonians accepted. And I think every year you're going to see that become bigger and bigger and better and more ingrained to, into the fabric of our city and the calendar of our city. And that's okay because... When you iterate on events like that, you actually get much better events. The Olympics were the exact opposite. The Olympics were starting with the biggest possible event and only doing it once. So you don't have a chance to improve on it and make it better. You, you, know, you either do it once or you, you, know, you get it right or you don't. Most cities don't get it right. 
I think it's much better if we want big events to start with small events and grow from there. So sort of grow it organically. What about that, Mike? Well, I mean, to some extent, that's what would happen with with um, this Grand Prix event, obviously, because that would that was not going to just be a one and done. That would that would be several times. Um, you know, I, I just got listening to Chris talk. I mean, I just sit here kind of sad that we killed the chance to have the Olympics in Boston. I mean, he's still down. I remember, yeah, from, I got to get over it. But Boston I, I, still I, has him down. So, you, know, you continue to call Boston twenty twenty four a good idea. I want to know which part of of uh, Boston twenty twenty four was a good idea. Was it the taxpayer guarantee? Was it needing to build a velodrome? Was it needing to build a temporary three hundred million dollars stadium? And there there you go again, Chris. Was, mm. was I it, mean, this is was we, it the eight hundred million dollar deficit that the that the Brattle Group found? In we differ. We differ. Budget? We differ in that these big exposure events like the Democratic National Convention, which I believe you would absolutely oppose if it was proposed today, and the Olympics, which you did oppose, are, I believe that these are giant legacy events that will. Uh, you know, Barcelona is forever changed because of its Olympics. So we don't have to rehash the Olympics. But I, I want to go back to a quote that the mayor said. And, you know, he now has the vantage of being the mayor and he's seeing these things happen. He says, we just love to pound things into the ground here. What he's referring to is this kind of, it's not just related to these big events. It is, have you been to a community meeting recently in Boston? Absolutely. You know? yeah. So, you know, you go to these community meetings and what you have there and God love these people because no one else is doing it. Um, and I used to represent them. And prof- get the something beat out of you, right? At times. Oh, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I was with them. Or but, you were doing yeah. the beating then, right? Yeah, it, it depends. These yeah. days, I'm I get more flogged than doing the flogging, right? Okay. Uh, because I'm going in with proposals and ideas. But you know, right. and, and listen, and I know a lot of these people. I love these people. But I am telling you that these are professional meeting goers. That I I work in a law firm now. There's 70 people in my law firm. I, I would be surprised if, and then probably another 30, you know, maybe there's 100 people who work there. Secretaries, lawyers, all different kinds of people who work there. I would be surprised if anyone in my law firm goes to community meetings. Maybe the real, real big ones when there's like a, you know, a, 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 a casino vote or something like that. Okay, but the day to day, the week to week, the permitting of the, the projects, you get the same 10 people who show up. And they, you know, they win the day. And, and you think, that, is that the same sort of phenomenon? Those though, are the people who showed up for this IndyCar. Olympics or IndyCar? Yeah, I mean, it's the same neighborhood groups who showed up for these same meetings, you know, and they were the ones who were who started their websites and got things wait, going. Wait, only 40% of Bostonians supported Boston 2024, 50% plus opposed. That's not a group of five professional meeting goers. Well, or, go, go to the that, end. That's, go the, to the, polling, or, that's or, the polling that Massink did or maybe that found or, that there I'm, were literally I'm, millions of Massachusetts residents. Or 10 people on Twitter, right? Yeah, I mean, you get, come yeah, on. Well, like, go, I, I'm not talking that. about the Olympics anymore. I shifted. I'm talking yeah. about this culture of beating things into the ground. You you can't get a triple-decker built in this city. Like, go to a community meeting. You live in Brookline. You were just telling me on the way in that... You have a 40B project at the end of your street. Just for before people's eyes glaze over, yes. 40B was a law that was created because whole cities and towns were saying no to housing development, and it became a workaround right. for those people who were fighting development. Right. So at the end of Chris's street is a very building that was created because there's so much no and people are pounding things into the ground. And I'm telling you, this exists all over the city of Boston. And it exists for small coffee shops. Yeah. It exists for triple deckers, Mike, and it exists for events like when, the IndyCar. Mike, when you ran when you when you ran for mayor, you used to talk about how you wanted to make Boston a city of a million residents. 
Right. And I thought that that was a big and bold vision that I could absolutely get behind. We need more housing in the city. Everyone agrees that. Yeah. And putting out a big vision like that and showing real leadership like that would have moved the city forward, even if we never got to a million, even if we only got to 700,000 or 750, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Having that goal out there is great, and it would help push through some of the local opposition that sometimes occurs to these projects. Mm-hmm. So you and I can agree that there are big ideas that are worth embracing. Yeah. The question is, do you embrace every single big idea that comes around the corner, or do you embrace the ones that make sense for your city? So how do you view what, what makes Boston, what would make Boston a world-class city? I mean, that, it was, things well, often I got framed that way. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I happen to think that Boston is a world-class city. And what, um, are the, what, what makes it so? I think it, it starts with our people. I think we have some of the most interesting people in the world. Um, I think of two, um, two events that were actually very similar to me. So um, the first was when I started business school, and I'm in a class of 90 people, and we went around the room, and everyone said where they were from. And there are people from like 60 different countries out of that class of 90 people. Um, it's an incredible diversity that we bring to, to Boston every single year for four years or two years. People come and they add value to the city and some of them stay and some of them leave, but they contribute to who we are. But the parallel event, which I thought was even better, was I attended a citizenship ceremony um, for a friend who was becoming a U.S. citizen. And that room of people who were waving their American flags at Faneuil Hall and the number of countries that they came from was even greater. It was like over 100 countries, people that were becoming citizens and wanted to put down roots in Boston. And so we, we have a vitality to this city that I think goes underappreciated. Every day, there are people choosing to move to Boston from all over the world because they think we're a great place. Add to that our institutions. We have institutions that are known throughout the world and are doing amazing research, um, that are contributing to, to science and um, you know the, the social studies and, and any sort of academic pursuit you can talk about. Uh, We have world-class sports teams. We have world-class events like the Boston Marathon. I think our 4th of July is the best in the country. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Art institutions and and cultural institutions, other civic institutions. Um, So, you know, I'm not saying that that we don't need more of that. Absolutely, we do. The question is, we got to pick the right things and we got to be smart about where we expend our resources and what direction we're taking the city. I mean, I don't disagree for a second. I mean, we've all chosen Boston. You, me, Chris, we all, li- you know, we live here. We, we love it. I love this city. We, I mean, I've dedicated a good number of my years to just working as a, a you know, city councilor in this. I love this city. But something missing if we're, No, no. You know. So the, 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 the biggest threat to Boston is our, our resting on our laurels, you know, our kind of leaning back and Complacency. saying, yeah, yeah. we're Boston. You know, we don't need to do that. Because we're Boston. And, you know, let me tell you, you know, Rome fell, too, uh, once upon a time. So, you know, it, it, all great civilizations and cities and places have to stay on their A game. As we speak, other cities and other towns um, are trying to, to become Boston uh, or trying to do what we Absolutely. do better than we do. So, you know, we, I just think that it, it's a slow, it, it happens slowly and you have to be careful. But if Boston do, it gets and earns and continues to have a reputation of a place that says no to some of these high profile events, you know, watch out because it will hurt us in the long run. It doesn't mean we have to, you know, um, uh, I don't know, fill in the, uh, the um, idiom you want, uh, I don't know, sell the goose that lays a golden egg or or, or, you know, sign up with the music so man the or, or whatever. whatever the heck. <laughs> it doesn't mean we have to get schnookered by, you know, the Give next, away the store. Give away the store to the next out-of-towner who comes rolling in saying, you know, have I got a great idea. I'm not saying we roll over. I mean, we, we should fight them and try to get the best possible deal for the city. But we got to be awfully careful of this no word. And it's, it's becoming a, you know, it's starting to become a trend.
Uh, I mean, in my piece, I talk about how when uh, the NHL um, Winter Classic went to play at Fenway Park, and it's funny because I just ran into someone the other day on this who, who was intimately involved and they had read the article. It cost them 100 permits to 100 permits to go to Fenway Park and do the outdoor NHL hockey game in a place where is which is designed for permits. I mean, for for events, mm-hmm. it shouldn't have to be permitted. Where are they in 2016 when they returned? After vowing never to come back to Boston, they went to Gillette Stadium, and you know that was the reputation that we had back in. That was 19. Wait, what was it? 2010, right? Um, so, you know, here we are, um, six years later, and um, you know we have to be careful. We have to be really careful about being a place where we say no and think we can because we're Boston. All right, great. Well, I think that will do it for today's episode of the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud. Mike Ross, thanks very much for joining us. And Chris Dempsey, thank you for being here. Thanks, Michael. Michael Jonas from Commonwealth Magazine. Thanks to all for listening. His mother goes to scrub the floors for me.